Welcome, everybody, to a Herbert Smith Freehills um, podcast. I've, I'm Aaron Anderson. Um, I'm a partner in the Employment, Industrial Relations and Safety team in the Brisbane office. And I've got with me two of my colleagues, Drew Pearson, um, who's also in the employment team in Sydney, and Anna Cregan, who's based in Perth. Um, we're all logically in our state lockdown at the moment, um, given this um, significant a crisis event that we're dealing with um, in responding to the COVID-19 pandemic. And what we want to do today is just have a general discussion around some of the employment and safety challenges that we've been seeing with our clients and some of the legal issues that have arisen um, that need to be responded to um, in this crisis event. And I'm going to hand over firstly to Anna. Um, Anna, can you sort of touch on some of the issues that you're seeing there over in the West and some of the things that you're talking to your clients about in terms of the um, sort of employment terms and conditions and challenges that um, people are facing on a day-to-day basis now? Sure. And hi, Aaron. Um, great to be with you and Pearson. We, in the West, I think we're receiving a number of questions from clients which are similar to those received in our other Australian offices. And at this point, obviously at quite an early stage of the uh, COVID issue being an issue for employers in Australia, we're receiving a number of questions around how employees should be paid and what an employer's rights are in dealing with them uh, in relation to COVID issues. And on the first issue, uh, what what must an employee be paid if they're absent from work for, for some COVID-related reason? The answer to that, of course, depends on why they're absent. If they're sick, as, as per the ordinary course, they are entitled to sick leave, assuming they meet any evidentiary requirements. If they have a caring obligation, and that in our view includes a requirement to look after children who uh, now need to be looked after if schools close, then we say they can take carer's leave, so the, the form of personal leave that is assigned to carer's leave. If they're unable to attend for some other reason, then you need to look carefully at what that reason is. If it's because they're in self-isolation, uh, again, you need to look carefully at the reason for that. If that's because they've come in from personal international travel, then arguably we would say they're not ready, willing or able to work and there's no requirement for the employer to pay them for that absence. If they've come back from work-related travel, it might be a different story. If they typically work a commute, so we have a number of clients in the West who fly workers in from the East Coast and fly them up to mines in the Northwest, then that quarantine requirement will obviously impact the ability of the worker to start work and to and to uh, comply with their typical commute roster because on crossing the Western Australian border, they'll need to comply with the quarantine requirement. And for a number of our resources clients, they're hoping to fall within a an exemption which has been granted to that um, closure of the Western Australian border. Uh, but the detail of, of that remains to be seen. And the discussion is that that exemption will apply to critical workers, but not necessarily to all workers in the resources sector. Uh, so there's some uncertainty at this point as to exactly who will be covered by that. Uh, but they're the key issues. They're the key um, sort of issues that employers are raising as far as we're concerned. One big issue which has come up is are employers, uh, at what point can employers stand down employees, so put them off work indefinitely with no pay? Uh, we say uh, obviously there's a Fair Work Act uh, ability to issue a stand-down order. 
that needs to be considered in light of any enterprise agreement terms which address stand down where they apply they obviously uh, need to be uh, considered in preference to the Fair Work Act um, as a starting point uh, but the stand down provision under the Fair Work Act is reasonably limited it applies where the, a particular employee can't usefully be employed and that has to be where there's a stoppage of work for a cause for which the employer can't be held responsible. So we say that doesn't neatly cover the situation where an employee is at home isolating. If the work is continuing, the work hasn't stopped, um, the, the more appropriate characterisation of that is that the employee is not ready, willing or able to attend work. That might cover, though, a situation where, um, for example, a, a non-essential service is closed down and is no longer um, allowed to operate pursuant to government um, orders and if there then is a genuine stoppage of work, then the employer would have a basis to uh, stand its employees down. And we've obviously seen a really high-profile um, case of that in the Qantas example earlier this week. Uh, it's clear from cases on the stand-down provisions in the Fair Work Act that stand-down doesn't give an employer an ability to uh, stand employees down because commercial conditions aren't favourable, because, for example, commodity t prices take a um, hit or because uh, production costs are increased. That's not a stoppage of work and it's not a stoppage of work for a cause that the employee, employer can't be held responsible for. So there are some clear limitations on that. But uh, they're the main things happening in the West at the moment. And Anna, um, in terms of um, other sort of leave-related matters, are you seeing any sort of push um, from unions or um, employees to um, put in place sort of special leave arrangements during this difficult period? It's a good question. We are. We're receiving a number of um, requests that clients have received from, in some cases, multiple unions, in some cases, co-signing correspondence to clients asking for certainty on a number of different issues, including whether there'll be stand down, what employees will be paid in different circumstances, whether there's any guaranteed ongoing work and what that looks like. And one thing that unions and others in the workplace are particularly interested in is this concept of paid special leave. And it's something that there were um, some quite high profile announcements about that you've probably heard um, you know, some retail employers, for example, uh, announced that they would continue casual employees arrangements, that they would cover any casual absences due to COVID-related issues with a form of paid special leave, which they're not otherwise required to provide. Uh, we are telling our clients that obviously they have discretion to implement any leave arrangement on top of um, their minimum requirements that they might wish to, but they should be judicious in doing so. They need to think about how that works for um, the entirety of their workforce, how long that may need to continue for. And the starting point is they don't have an obligation um, to pay any paid special leave, uh, but they might consider doing so in the circumstances. We would say they should consider doing so on a case-by-case -case basis. Yeah, that makes perfect sense. And the one other issue that you might have in mind there, um, Aaron, which unions have been ad alert to and others have been asking us about, um, is to what extent can, can an employer direct an employee to take annual leave? Uh, there are restrictions on this in the Fair Work Act. You can do it under the Fair Work Act for agreement and award free employees if uh, the direction is reasonable. For agreement and award covered employees, you need to look to whether they um, whether they whether the employer has a right to do so under their uh, agreement or award, 
And uh, for long service leave, the position is dealt with on a state-by-state basis, obviously. In some jurisdictions, you can do it. In some jurisdictions, you can't. So that requires some attention as well if it's something employers are considering. Yeah, it's certainly sort of a lot of complex considerations for employers in this very difficult situation when it comes to leave and considering sort of special leave arrangements and um, obviously, you know, the financial um, implications of um, putting forward those arrangements, but also wanting to ensure that you protect your workers and, you know, you're, you're in a position to come through this, the other end, um, whenever that time frame comes, Emma. I think that's right. And in the course of managing all of these issues, another big, big question that's coming up is... Um, employers will necessarily be getting information about their employees which might help them to manage those risks and to make practical decisions about what they can and can't do. And um, one, one very clear overriding concern is, um, is privacy and uh, how can employers make sure they, they comply with privacy requirements while dealing with all of those issues. And I know Drew in particular has been spending a lot of time on this of late. Yeah, thanks, Anna. That's um, absolutely right. I think this is a unique time for employers where uh, they are dealing kind of day in, day out with health information of their employees. And so um, the the individual circumstance of how people have been exposed to COVID-19, the impact it's having on them personally um, as they, you know, are directed to self-isolate whilst waiting for test results to come through. Um, and that can even be one or two steps removed depending on the health guidance in place. So we've been working a lot with clients to set up basic protocols, keeping in mind the obligations under the Pri- Privacy Act to make sure that they're not falling foul of um, the legal requirement to keep private information private. There's um, about seven different ways that the Act permits Uh, the disclosure of private information. And really here we're talking about the identity of an individual who has tested um, positive to uh, COVID-19. The first is one of the most obvious. I think it's where it's required by law. Um, In limited circumstances, there may be a legal obligation on an employer to disclose uh, the diagnosis of a particular individual. Um, The more practical... uh, approach is when you receive consent from the individual involved. Now, some employees are very willing to provide that consent and that can be verbal or written. Obviously, um, either way, you just want to be very clear about what the employee is consenting to. And so to the extent possible, uh, getting something in writing is best. The third ties into uh, an issue that we're facing with clients that are still having employees working in the workplace um, and that's where there is a health risk to other individuals. So employers can use and disclose the information that they've um, got if they reasonably believe that it's necessary to use that information to prevent a serious threat to life, health or safety of individuals um, more broadly. And Drew, that might arise, for example, where, um, you know, there is the identification um, of a suspected case or an actual case of COVID-19 and uh, the employer necessarily needs to think about contact tracing within the organisation, seeing who who might have been exposed. Absolutely. Um, And you'll probably see a bit of interaction um, in the requirements by law as the health departments get involved in tracing um, where individuals have been uh, 
during a period where they may have been exposing others to COVID-19. Yeah. Um, the fourth area is really where the, the disclosure of, uh, of the private information is being disclosed for its primary purpose. So obviously if uh, an individual is informed by one of their subordinates that they have tested positive to COVID-19, the manager will need to take certain steps uh, to comply with the organisation's crisis response um, program or COVID-19 response program. So there will be disclosures uh, in the ordinary course of making sure that um, the relevant people within the organisation know. It, it's, I guess, uh, a permission to use the information whilst maintaining confidentiality to the extent possible. Um, and that ties in as well to the fifth and sixth examples um, of reasons for disclosure being directly related purpose disclosure and the utilisation of the employee records exemption. Um, so it's not that, um, like in the whistleblowing space, if a disclosure is made to a particular person, they can only disclose it to uh, people authorised under the Act, um, but you also can't be shouting it from the rooftops for obvious reasons. Um, and finally, and this is hopefully an area that we do not uh, get to, but there is under the Privacy Act the ability to um, permit disclosures in the event of an emergency declaration. Now, they are um, declarations made by the Prime Minister or the Federal Attorney General um, that effectively override um, the operation of parts of the Privacy Act. Now, we haven't seen anything um, in that space yet, and as I say, we certainly hope that uh, we don't. But I think really if, when we're thinking about privacy, um, we are managing our employees and we need to ensure that we're providing a safe place of work to the entire employee and worker group more broadly. Um, and generally employers will... Um, maintain compliance with their obligations under the Privacy Act by using those guiding principles around only disclosing the information to those that um, need to know um, and testing those needs against the various uh, exemptions that are available. So, Aaron, I know you've been doing a lot of work in the work health and safety space and um, particularly around change management. What are you seeing arise up in Queensland? Yeah, Drew, look, um, lots happening in short uh, and I, I don't want to focus on sort of the detail associated with what employers are doing in response to sort of health and safety risks um, at the workplace. There's lots being done um, in terms of um, risk management and, you know, sanitisation programs and social isolation and other measures that have been put in place in response to this crisis. But something that's really been bugging me and has really sort of um, been keeping me awake at night is um, the whole issue of change management because at the moment I'm seeing a lot of rapid change. I'm seeing clients making quick decisions. I'm seeing um, things happening at the workplace um, that people wouldn't ordinarily do in terms of um, changing the way that work has been performed. I'm seeing decisions made that possibly um, are the right decisions in response to a crisis event like this, but potentially when you think things through, um, you know, could have, you know, catastrophic safety outcomes. And I I just want to sort of remind everyone, you know, some of the tragedies of the past have arisen from decisions that 
you know, people have made at management levels, at senior levels, within boards, you know, driven potentially by things like cost considerations. And, and that's a genuine and real consideration for business right now. It absolutely is. Um, but we've, we've seen and we've learned from the past that um, those sorts of decisions can often lead to poor safety outcomes. And uh, there's been many examples of, if I think back through to the sort of Pipe River Mine disaster in New Zealand, I mean, that... That was a situation where, you know, sort of 20 mine workers were sort of ultimately buried in the underground mine there at Pipe River. And uh, if you read the inquiry report into that matter, there were some management decisions around cost and incentivising mine workers to continue to, to enter that mine um, to achieve production targets and bonuses, um, and, uh, despite the fact that there were obvious warnings um, that were going off around high gas levels. And I just don't want to see... Uh, you know, a situation where we get a crisis event for, for one of our clients or anyone out there in the community um, in responding to this really, really difficult issue. So I, I think there's a couple of things um, in terms of um, change man management activities. I've, I've seen sort of organisations putting in place, you know, the, the red and the blue team. You can't call them the A and the B team. It causes a bit of dissension. <laughs> Uh, you know, and so sort of splitting shifts, splitting crews, um, you know, trying to put in place various social distancing measures within the workplace, which are all really sensible things to do. Uh, but I recently did a bit of work um, with a client and we were talking about by splitting these crews and creating social distancing and, yeah, they're sort of doing the same thing, but what does that mean around issues like, you know, supervision and management? I mean, are there... Uh, are there appropriate uh, supervision arrangements still in place or is the, the, the person who's the usual supervisor who's all across what's going on, um, you know, not, not working for the red crew but only for the blue crew? Um, so are there things that need to be considered in terms of, you know, appropriate levels of supervision or are there sort of, uh, you know, sort of competency or particular skills or manning arrangements across the blue team uh, and the red team that need to be thought through so that there are competencies and skills um, on each crew at each um, roster period um, so that the work can be done safely. And I think these are real challenges and just things that need to be thought through. Um, I've heard only today of an organisation who, um, you know, has been deferring planned audit schedules. And again, um, there are very good reasons um, that might occur from a business perspective, given the distraction of all of this. Uh, but, it, but you've got to ask yourself, in my view, we're going to defer audits. Well, what is the nature of the audit um, and, you know, sort of what do we rely on the outcomes of the audit uh, to, um, to do for us and assist us to make informed decisions around safety um, and therefore, um, you know, sort of run the lens through that decision not to carry out the scheduled audit program um, through a risk management lens and, and, and try and at least get an understanding of the potential impacts of the decision. That's um, interesting. Aaron, yeah. and sorry to interject, I mean, on a similar note, issues we've been dealing with here are um, uh, changes to rosters and fatigue implications of those, particularly where rosters need to change because there's reduced labour supply taking into account quarantine arrangements and flight restrictions, and also statutory position holders and how um, clients can get by um, and, and meet those obligations given um, restrictions around travel and movement and social distancing requirements. And um, you may be about to get to it, but one particular issue that I'm interested in and don't know the answer to is what do we think our regulators will be, will be doing on this when they get over the initial shock? Um, what will our, how will our safety regulators respond? 
Oh, well, I can have a chat about that. I think um, I think your point about the travel restrictions and you know, sort of the tightening of border controls and the implications that's having on our business. I, I just think we, we we haven't seen the full impact of that. And I know there will be exemptions. I think you talked about that earlier, um, but it's certainly having an impact and um, and having an impact on uh, another example of um, speaking to a client only yesterday about a particular um, contractor who is coming across the border into Queensland but, you know, is not going to be able to do so now given the restrictions and that, but that contractor was, was doing a planned maintenance activity. Now, what happens to that activity? So these are real real considerations. But, look, in terms of the regulator, it, it's going to be really interesting to sit back and watch. In, in Queensland here, we've seen sort of real transition to hardline enforcement. We've seen um, lots of activity in terms of um, enforcement notices and prosecutions. Um, and um, that's no surprise given, you know, sort of the issues that we had sort of with the, the Dream World matter and a number of other incidents here in Queensland. And I think that um, has flowed onto the other jurisdictions, Anna. Um, but, look, I did actually have a conversation only a few days ago with the Queensland Safety Regulator. And, look, what I was told is that it's business as usual. Um, they're still going to be um, actively engaged in sort of monitoring business activities and, if necessary, carrying out um, enforcement um, under the by exercising powers. So, look, time will tell. Um, but what I've been told is that it is business as usual. I genuinely hope that decisions of regulators um, are, are sensible and people and, and regulators are, are con- conscious of the sort of real difficult times that our clients are facing right now, mm-hmm. um, and offer offer support and guidance and assistance. So it's an important role that regulators play. They have an enforcement approach and a, a really important enforcement role. You know that as well as I do. But also they have a role to guide and advise us during this really difficult period. Yeah, and that's a really interesting point. Aaron, one of the issues we've been talking to clients about is how they can um, achieve compliance in the employment space. So I'm talking about award compliance, enterprise agree compliance um, in circumstances where you no longer have supervisors sitting in the same location as a lot of their direct reports as the kind of white-collar workforce of Australia uh, moves to remote working. And so how do we make sure that, um, for example, employees that are required to take particular breaks during their day are taking them or that they have 10-hour breaks um, between work on one day and work on the next day when you compound in issues um, that I think we'll see in the coming weeks around children having to be home from school, parents still trying to get on with work um, and so they're logging on early in the morning and they're logging on late at night uh, but then maybe they're not working um, for large chunks of what what was the kind of normal business day. So mm. um, the, the business as usual approach to both safety and employment is um, a really important consideration at the moment um, because ultimately employers need their businesses to continue to run, to keep people employed and to uh, keep the economy running. Look, that's and right, on the Trudy. safety front, mm. again, sorry, Aaron, on the safety front, it's interesting that very big decisions are being made by boards and executive leadership teams in a context in Australia where they now have expanded scope for liability through industrial manslaughter laws in many jurisdictions in a way that they haven't previously or in a way that slightly expands what they had previously. So it's a very interesting um, context for them to be making decisions of that scale and and of that nature. No doubt about it. Look, I, I started with the statement that this is genuinely sort of one of the biggest public health crises we've seen 
no doubt, we're never going to see anything like this in our lifetime, right? Um, and there are many, many issues, and, and we could talk about this uh, for many hours. We don't have many hours, um, so I think we might move to sort of uh, a wrap-up, Drew and Anna, unless there's any final words. I think there's, um, the solution here ultimately is we're all in it together. Uh, there are many, many challenges from an employment perspective, from a health and space safety perspective, and um, you've talked about directors, they're in it. We've talked about employers, they're in it. We've talked about unions, they're in it. I've talked about government, they're in it. <clears throat> Every stakeholder has a has a part to play. Every stakeholder can be part of the solution. And I think it's really important that there's a level of cooperation and participation in the solution as um, we all work through this um, public health crisis. <clears throat> um, so I just want to sort of send a shout out to people who are going to listen to this podcast. Um, please keep safe. Um, in these challenging times, and one of the most important things that we can do is just look out for each other. So take care, everybody. You have been listening to a podcast brought to you by Herbert Smith Freehills. For more episodes, please go to our channel on iTunes or SoundCloud and visit our website, herbertsmithfreehills.com, for more insights relevant to your business.